Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with the Jehovah's Discovery of Sacred Scripture. Oh, sorry. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, the gremlins seem to be working overtime today. Um, those of you who are on my live stream know that they were very busy then, and I apologize for the slightly short, uh, slightly delayed start of the program today, but apparently the Radio Maria Studios is also uh, packed chock full of gremlins today, but all's well that ends well. So, First of all, I want to wish all my Jewish listeners out there and friends a happy Purim, one day belatedly. Yesterday was Purim, which is actually the most joyful, uh, most purely joyful, probably, of the Jewish feast days. I suppose it has a contender in Simchat Torah, but I'll leave that aside. Purim, of course, being the celebration of the um, saving of the entire Jewish people from extermination through the intercession of Queen Esther, as recounted in the book of Esther. And um, this this story, <laughs> I wasn't planning to do this, but uh, the Holy Spirit might have had another idea, because I think I'm going to do spend today's show talking about Purim, and the story of Purim and what it has to do with the Catholic Church in particular. Because what is so incredibly beautiful about the story of Purim is that it is yet another example in the Old Testament of a prefigurement in the story of the Jewish people, a prefigurement of Catholic redemption, a prefigurement of specifics of Christianity and even of uh, the Catholic faith and the Catholic sacraments. We're coming up, of course, onto. We're coming up onto. Uh, well, we just began Lent, so it's going to be a good long time, but we will, of course, be um, coming up on Easter, Good Friday and Easter, in a number of weeks, and um, Easter is, of course, prefigured in Judaism, in Passover, and in fact, Easter, or rather, let me back up, um, the fulfillment, in some sense, the fulfillment of all of Judaism took place at that Passover Seder, which we know of as the Last Supper, which was also the first Catholic Mass. It's a perfect illustration of the point in time at which sacramental Old Testament Judaism was transformed into the Catholic Church. And the Passover itself is a celebration of the exodus of the Jews from Egypt, which is in itself a prefigurement of the coming of the Jewish Messiah, who we know as, as know of as Jesus, and the liberation of all of mankind from the power of Satan. In fact, the liberation of the Jews from the power of Pharaoh in Egypt was a picture in advance of the liberation of mankind from the power of Satan through the coming of the Jewish Messiah or Christ one and the same. And so Passover is in fact a picture in advance of Jesus as the Messiah. And so Passover is a Jewish holiday that celebrates our salvation, uh, that prefigures, <laughs> that cel I don't know how to put this, that is a prefigurement of a celebration of our salvation through Christ. And in a somewhat parallel fashion, Purim is a prefigurement of a celebration of our, I can't say salvation through the Blessed Virgin Mary, but the central intercessory role that the Blessed Virgin Mary plays in our salvation. Because in fact, Queen Esther, who is at the center of the story of Purim, is a prefigurement of the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. And as Queen Esther prayed and interceded with the king who was going to um, 
lead all of the Jews in the kingdom to death, uh, basically kill all of the Jews in the kingdom. The Blessed Virgin Mary intercedes with the true King, our Lord and God, on our behalf to save us poor sinners from the ultimate death, from the loss of our salvation. I'm not doing the world's best job, but I hope you kind of get a little bit of the picture. But before I tie myself more in knots, perhaps it would be more prudent for me to read from the book of Esther um, in the Old Testament. And as I read the account of what went on in that story, I will try to I, I will try to gloss the reading, so to speak, um, elaborate on the reading with the veiled references to the Blessed Virgin Mary, with the typology which shows that Esther is a type of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, with that, I will simply launch in reading the book of Esther. I will, um, of course, uh, summarize it in places rather than reading the whole book of Esther, which brings me to a little a little um, trivia point, which is if you've ever heard the expression Megillah, as in, oh no, don't go into the whole Megillah. You might have heard that if you're from the New York area or if, if you've been around a lot of uh, Jews or Jewish culture. Megillah is actually... Uh, I'm taking a shortcut, but it's the word for the book of Esther. And the entire book of Esther is read at the synagogue service every uh, Purim evening. And it's a very, very long reading, which is why Megillah in English refers to a long, drawn-out story. Because when you're sitting in synagogue and you hear this uh, droning recitation of the book of Esther, which probably lasts about a good hour, hour and a half, then you might be sitting there tearing out your hair and saying, do we really have to hear the whole Megillah? But you'll be using the ver word very precisely because Megillah means scroll and it is colloquially used to refer to the scroll of the book of Esther. So that's where a Megillah comes from. Anyway, reading from the whole Megillah, but shortening it. In the days of Ahasuerus, um, who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. He was the king. Um, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the royal throne in Susa, the capital, um, he had a huge feast, a huge royal feast. Uh, drinks were served in golden goblets, goblets of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to to the bounty of the king. This feast lasted for seven days, and on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, and the seven eunuchs who served King Ahasuerus as chamberlains to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, and at this the king was enraged and his anger burned within him. Okay, so let me explain what's going on here. The Jews were led into exile into Babylon. I believe that was about um, six centuries before Christ. And um, they were... In, uh, they were in Babylon when this king Ahasuerus was the king of the entire region and he held a huge royal feast and at the climax of that feast, so to speak, he wished for his queen to come out to show her beauty, but she was disobedient. Now, without pushing this too hard, I would like to suggest that the wedding feast of King Ahasuerus, is a sort of a picture of God's creation of mankind. Mankind with, was intended to be the, uh, the I, I, well, I'll just have to say it, in some sense, the spouse of God. We know that the church is the spouse of Christ, 
And if Adam and Eve had behaved in the Garden of Eden, then mankind would have had a very different relationship with God and one of being a certainly a beloved, a beloved companion, in some sense, in a spousal relationship with God. Um, so one could see this celebration of King Ahasuerus as a picture of God's joy, let's say, when he created Adam and Eve to live this perfect, eternal life in the Garden of Eden. But what happened? They, they were disobedient. And Eve, in particular, listened to the words of the serpent and took the fruit from the tree of good and evil. And her disobedience made the king mad, so to speak, made God perhaps mad is not quite the right characterization because but that made um, God punish mankind, so to speak, with the fall from the Garden of Eden. So this opening of the Book of Esther can be seen as the opening of the story of mankind and Eve's fall from the Garden of Eden creating the crash of mankind out of the Garden of Eden can be seen as represented by the queen's um, disobedience. Because, of course, it was Eve's disobedience that caused the fall, and it was Queen Vashti's disobedience that you know, shattered this wonderful celebration and made the king angry. So then, what did the king do? Um, the king... Uh, I'm trying to decide whether to, to read or to um, summarize. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll try reading this. Uh, if it please the king, let a royal order go forth from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be altered, that Vashti is to come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So, Queen Vashti was out of luck and the king was going to search the entire kingdom for the most beautiful young virgin to take her place and to be the new queen. Anyone see a little picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary there? We know that the Blessed Virgin Mary has always been referred to in the church as the new Eve. The Blessed Virgin Mary is the human creature most entirely pleasing to God. We all know that. When King Ahasuerus was searching the kingdom to find the most beautiful young virgin whom he could make the new queen, it seems to be quite a parallel with God. I don't want to put thoughts in his you know, words in his mouth, so to speak, but scouring all of mankind to find the most perfect, the most beautiful, the most obedient young virgin to make the new Eve the new mother of all the living, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Remember, she is the mother of all the living. Remember, Jesus gave her to us on the cross, said, Son, behold your mother, to John the Evangelist, who represents discipleship, those uh, Christians, and said to the Blessed Virgin Mary, Behold your son. So he, he gave the Blessed Virgin Mary to us as our new mother, as the new mother of all the living, as the new Eve. So, back to the book of Esther. The word has gone out, the kingdom is to be searched, and the, the worthy replacement for the original queen is to be found. In other words, the worthy replacement for Eve, who was disobedient. So, the kingdom, uh, this, this call goes out, and... Um, Many young virgins are gathered together, so to speak, called to the palace to audition for the role of the queen, so to speak, to be presented before the king, uh, one after the other, uh, to find one that the king favors the most to be the new queen. Now, one of, well, let me read this, uh, now go back to the text. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, um, and let the maidens who please the king be queen, and let the maiden 
who pleases the king, be queen instead of Ashti. This idea pleased the king, and so he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, uh, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away um, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had them carried away. So this is the Babylonian exile that I had referred to. Um, Mordecai had brought up Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The maiden was beautiful and lovely, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and many maidens were gathered in the capital, Esther was also taken into the king's palace. And the Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordechai had charged her not to make it known. And every day Mordechai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. So now Esther is in the king's court, um, along with the other many most beautiful young virgins of the of the kingdom, to be um, to take her turn to be presented to the king to see if the king wants to choose her for the new queen. And very relevantly for this story, Esther is Jewish, but her uncle um, has advised her to keep that secret and not let anyone in the palace know that she is Jewish. Now, um, uh, I'll have to skip ahead so I don't read the whole Megillah. So anyway, Esther's turn finally comes, and when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into the royal palace in the tenth month, uh, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. I'll just repeat that. She found grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. She was perfect in grace. She was perfected in grace. Does that sound like anything? Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary, perfect in grace. Uh, and, and she was made the queen. So, again, we have a picture that can map on quite elegantly onto the, um, onto the, uh, uh, to, to make a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary, a prefigurement of the Blessed Virgin Mary, a type of the Blessed Virgin Mary. By the way, uh, I suspect if you've been listening this long in the show, you probably believe me anyway, but this isn't original with me. And in fact, if you ever have the privilege to go to Jerusalem and go to the Church of the Dormition, which is built where it is thought that the Blessed Virgin Mary went to sleep Church of the Dormition, Dormition means sleep, and was assumed into heaven, one will see there a kind of a mock tomb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And um, in a little cupola over, over this mock tomb, there is a beautiful mosaic showing six um, women from the Old Testament who were all types of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The first of those was Eve, because, of course, she was the first mother of all living. Uh, the second of those was Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, who had that joyful song when the Jews crossed the uh, Red Sea, escaping from Egypt during the Exodus. That song was actually uh, echoed in the Magnificat, and you can see echoes in the poetry of the Magnificat from the song of Miriam. Then you have a few heroines from the Old Testament who um, killed evil generals who were out to wipe out the Jews. Um, you have Yael who, um, who, who drove a, a stake through the head of Sisera, I think was the name of the general. You have Judith who cut off the head of Holofernes, who was the wicked general who was trying to wipe out the Jews. Again, pictures of the Blessed Virgin Mary, because we know that the Blessed Virgin Mary crushed, crushes the serpent's head under her heel, right? So just as the Blessed Virgin Mary crushes the serpent's head under her heel, Yael crushed 
Sisera's head by driving a tent peg through it, and Judith crushed Holofernes's head by cutting it off and decapitating him. Um, then moving further in along the cycle of Old Testament figures of the Blessed Virgin Mary, you have Ruth, Ruth who ended up uh, being in the line of uh, ancestry of Jesus in the uh, genealogy in the book of Matthew. Ruth, who's famous in the Old Testament for her compassion. In fact, if you know the English word ruthless, the word ruthless is named after Ruth because Ruth is synonymous with compassion. And in English, there's also a word which isn't used very much, which is ruthful, which means full of compassion. So, of course, Ruth, as the emblem of compassion in the Old Testament, is also a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And finally, you come to Esther as you go along that uh, canopy of types of Mary in the Blessed Virgin in the Old Testament. So, to that extent, I'm not making this up. Now, okay, uh, so, um, so we have uh, Esther now chosen as queen. Now there's a bad guy who comes into the story. His name is Haman. And Haman is the, you can say, prime minister. He is the, he is the number two to the king, Ahasuerus. He has pleased the king. The king has given him his signet ring. He is his chamberlain, I think the term would be. But in any case, he is like the Secretary of State, he is the number two in the kingdom, in the entire kingdom. He has the authority to sign letters in the name of the king. That's what it means that he has his signet ring. Anyway, so Haman is the bad guy. And um, all of the, uh, in, honor to, uh, in order to honor Haman, King Ahasuerus has made the command that when Haman passes by, all of the citizens of the kingdom have to bow down in homage to him. Well, there's one guy who isn't bowing down in homage to him, and that's Mordechai. Remember Mordechai, Esther's uncle. Because Mordechai is a Jew, and it's against Jewish law to bow down to any human being. You are only to worship God, and they interpret that as you are only to bow down to God. So, Haman goes out of the king's gate one day and he sees this guy who is not bowing down to him and Haman is really, really, really full of pride and he goes ballistic. So, so I will, um, I, I, uh, I will not go back and read the text because I, I just summarized it. So when Haman saw that Mordecai didn't bow down to him or do obeisance, he was filled with fury. And um, so he, um, he asked the other servants to ask Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And Mordecai said, well, because I'm Jewish and it's not allowed to do that. Well, Haman's fury at Mordecai became fury at the Jews who had the effrontery not to bow down to him and Haman convinced the king to issue a death sentence on all of the Jews in the kingdom which would have been all the Jews period pretty much all the Jews certainly from Judah which is where the name Jew comes from because all of the Jews this is getting into another area but all of the Jews in the southern kingdom had been uh, exiled to Babylonia, and we're talking about Babylonia. So, if all of the king, if all of the Jews under King Ahasuerus's kingdom had been exterminated, all of the Jews would have been exterminated. So, anyway, so the the king buys this, and the king agrees to issue an order to exterminate all of the Jews in the kingdom. Well, word of this gets to. Um, well, it's not hard for word of this to get to Mordechai because the decree is sent out saying that all of the Jews are, are to be killed. Um, I will uh, see if I can find that quickly. 
Okay. The king, the king's secretaries were summoned on the 13th day of the month in an edict according to all that Haman had commanded, that's that the Jews be killed, was written to the king's satraps and the governors over all the provinces and to the princes of all the peoples and to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. And it was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to slay, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So that is the order to exterminate all of the Jews in the kingdom. Now, I've been talking a mile a minute, um, and this is going to be a little bit more awkward because of the technical problems at the studio. But um, this is a call-in program. It's a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And um, the, uh, uh, let me see if this still works. If I do this, does that still work? Yeah, um, Okay. Anyway, um, anyway, so if you wish to call in, you may call in, and anytime actually, and um, uh, I'm trying to think on the fly. No, uh, I guess the safest way to do it, given the um, uh, technical problems that we are having right now in the studio, is I will take a short musical break in a few minutes, um, and uh, I'll, uh, on my end. And coming out of the musical break, if anyone has called in, I'll just ask the studio to cut into the line uh, when the music ends or shortly thereafter and let me know that there's a caller on the line. Anyway, so we have just gotten to the edict having been sent out to exterminate all of the Jews in the kingdom. And I think that's probably a good point at which to take a short break. So that's what I will do now. And uh, as I said, I, I hope that the um, technical end of these things I can manage successfully on my, on my end here. Uh, so let's see. So um, without further ado, let me try to uh, insert the music at this point in the show. I'll be back in about two or three minutes, and if you wish to call in in that time period, the number is 866-333-6279, and if there are any callers, I'll just ask the studio to put them on um, at the end of the music.
gratia plena dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesu. Okay, well, I'm back. Uh, do we, did we, can I ask the studio if we had any calls come in? Yes. yes. Okay, Hello. sounds like I have a caller on the line. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm overwhelmed by the technology here, but uh, what's your name uh, and did you have a question or a comment? Yes, this is Valentina. Thank you for taking my call, Roy. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit plugged up myself. Yes, I did. I had a comment, and thank you again for, I love the story of Esther, and I can definitely see all the correlations with our Blessed Mother, so thank you so much for that. But I had a question for you. It was. It's. I'm finding it very interesting now that I, I think I have followed you. I'm going on three years now, your YouTube program, along with the uh, Radio Maria program. So I have learned so much, and as a result of that, now, in the readings, even during the Nova Ordo Seclorium Mass, because that's the only one I can attend in my area, um, I found it interesting that the epistle reading was Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19, which, as you well know, is the reading of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, where our uh, God is giving them their statues and commandments and raising them so high above the nations, and, of course, praising and going into a covenant with them, and making them, you know, as you well know, uh, being Jewish in the Catholic Church, uh, raising them to a very high level. Then I found it more interesting when they went in to read the Gospel, which is um, the Gospel of Matthew 5, 43 to 48, where our Lord Jesus, now the New Covenant, as we know, um, is teaching his disciples as their, their rabbi. And he says a whole different spin from what I feel the disciples, being Jewish, would have been taught in the Torah, which would have been the books of Moses from Deuteronomy. Um, such a different, you know, teaching and the confusion that it could have um, had upon the disciples at that time. Okay, yes. I, and I think about that, and I think that grace had to be at work because basically um, what Jesus was teaching, all of Judaism was about the future coming of the Messiah. That was the purpose of Judaism. Much of Judaism was to be transformed when the Messiah came. It was, in fact, transformed into the Catholic Church. That's why I'm here. And there were a lot of aspects of Judaism that were to be transformed into their full, mature form in the Catholic Church. But that means that the earlier form was to drop away. The Judaism was based on the observance of the law that God gave Moses. The intention, the, the very particular observance of the law, with a lot of very small particular details like what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat and what you're allowed to wear and what you're not allowed to wear um, and, uh, and so forth. And those details were intended to go away when the Messiah came, but that would require the Messiah coming for those details to go away. So if a Jew in the days of Jesus recognized him as the Messiah, they were in a position to understand why the laws did not have the same significance that as they had before the Messiah came. But if they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, then he is just somebody who is actually uh, teaching people to break the law and the worst kind of heretic and leader into heresy. So I think you could actually have I don't know the mystery of God's grace, why he gave some Jews the grace 
to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, and some Jews didn't have the grace of recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. We know about the Jewish leaders, of course, like Caiaphas and Ananias, uh, who had a vested interest in not recognizing Jesus as the Messiah because he meant it was the end of their gig and the end of their you know, domination and the end of their income and everything. But the ordinary Jews, I just don't know. I can easily imagine that some of them did not have the grace of recognizing Jesus and therefore could not follow him along the path that he was laying out for them, which was basically letting go of the Old Testament law. So anyway, I don't know if that's an answer or not. I'm basically just saying that I commiserate, I commiserate with the problem that you're identifying because yes, it must have been a problem, a serious problem for any Jew of the day unless they had the grace of recognizing, if not the divinity of Jesus, his God-given authority. So that's the best I can do off off the top of my head for an answer. I have to get back to Esther uh, or else um, or else we won't get to the beauty of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the story. I had, uh, just before the musical break, I had mentioned Haman, the evil person, who was so full of pride that when Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, he determined to have all of the Jews in the kingdom killed. Now, who is it who is totally full of pride and wants nothing but that all of humanity bow down and worship him. Of course, it's Satan. Satan's fall from heaven was because he wanted to be worshipped in the place of God. And Haman is clearly a very direct picture of Satan. Satan also wants the dam- the loss of every human soul, right? That's the job he has. That's the business he's in, is trying to arrange for everyone possible to be damned, just like Haman was trying to arrange for all of the Jews to be killed. So what happens then? What happens then, to cut a long story short, to cut short the whole Megillah, is that um, Mordecai tells Esther, and Esther uh, fasts and prays for, I believe, uh, three days. Um, uh, As a matter of fact, here is what Esther says when she hears this. Uh, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So basically, it was against the law for the queen, for anyone to appear before the king if if he or she isn't summoned. Esther was going to fast for three days and pray and appear before the king unsummoned. And if he did not give the signal that it was okay, she would be executed. Um, But she was doing this to intercede for her people. She wanted to appear before the king and plead with him to spare the Jewish people. So she, uh, her prayer is very, 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 very beautiful. And actually, it's very long. Um, I'll read some of it here. O my Lord, thou only art our king. Help me, who is alone and have no helper but thee, for my danger is in my hand. Ever since I was born, I have heard in the tribe of my family, that's the Jews, of course, that thou, O Lord, did take Israel out of all the nations, and our fathers from among all their ancestors for an everlasting inheritance, and that thou didst do for them all that thou didst promise. And now we have sinned before thee, and thou hast given us into the hands of our enemies, because we glorified their gods. And it goes on and on and on and on. And um, um, But save us by thy hand, and help me who is alone and have no helper but thee, O Lord, Thou hast knowledge of all things, and thou knowest that I hate the splendor of the wicked, and abhor the bed of the uncircumcised and of any alien. Thou knowest my necessity, that I abhor the sign of my proud position, which is upon my head on the days when I appear in public. Because she's queen, right? And so she wears a crown. But here we see another 
uh, picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because although the Blessed Virgin Mary is the ultimate queen, right? She's the queen of heaven and earth. She is the archetype of humility. She is humility perfected, humility personified. So, and this is, of course, being reflected, again, in the type of Esther, in Esther being a type of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, Thou knowest my necessity, that I abhor the sign of my proud position, which is upon my head on the days when I appear in public. In other words, the crown. Now, I'm going to read the text here. And I apologize for the word, but it is, I'm just reading it. And it's in the Old Testament, so I think that means it should be okay. Okay, she's referring to her crown, right? I abhor it like a menstruous rag, and I do not wear it on the days when I am at leisure. Thy servant has had no joy since the day that I was brought here until now, except in thee, O Lord God of Abraham. O God, whose might is over all, hear the voice of the despairing and save us from the hands of evildoers and save me from my fear. So, by the way, it's a very, very beautiful prayer. It's worth reading the whole thing, but um, I don't have time. But you see in her humility and in her despising the honor that comes with her position and in her... Uh, total, her only joy is in God, you see again, you see a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Anyway, after this prayer, she presents herself before the king, and um, let me see if I... Um, uh, okay, so, okay, she presents herself before the king, she knows that her life is in her hands because if the king doesn't make the gesture that it's okay for her to speak, she's just going to be executed. Um, she faints actually with fear at that moment. There are a lot of very beautiful old paintings of that scene of Esther fainting with fear in front of King Ahasuerus. And um, then I'll get to that point in the text. Then God changed the spirit of the king to gentleness because at first he looked really, really angry that she was appearing without his permission. Then God changed the spirit of the king to gentleness, and in alarm he sprang from his throne and took her in his arms until she came to herself, and he comforted her with soothing words and said to her, What is it, Esther? I am your brother. Take courage, you shall not die. Come near. Um, and then he embraced her and said, Speak. And she said to him, um, What is it, Queen Esther? Excuse me. He said to her, What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king. And then um, the story gets a little bit complicated. But she asked for a dinner with the king and Haman and Esther together. And so the king and Haman came to the dinner that Esther had prepared. And the king says, what is your petition? Because remember, the king had promised to grant her her petition, even to half of the kingdom. So she waits until she's in a setting with both the king and Haman. And she says, my petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king, to grant my petition and fulfill my request. Sorry, I'm on the wrong section there. So, um, uh, okay, so here's the right section. Uh, so again, the king says, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. And then Queen Esther answers, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me and my petition and my people and my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to be annihilated. And then the king sa asks, how did this come about? What are you talking about? And then she explains the role of Haman and that she's Jewish. And um, in the end, the king has Haman hung on the gallows that had been constructed 
under Haman's orders to hang Mordechai. So let me underline, I guess, underline why this is such a beautiful picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because, of course, Esther interceded with the king for her people to be spared who were under sentence of death. We are under sentence of death. We are spared uh, through the intercession, so to speak, Um, primarily, of course, through the role of Jesus and his role in having us spared from what we deserve, which is eternal damnation, actually, um, is celebrated in the Feast of Passover, which we're going to have in about five weeks when when Easter comes around. But here, so um, Jesus, excuse me, Moses was a figure of Jesus, and Passover being a celebration of Moses's freeing the Jews from Egypt is a picture of Jesus freeing us from the power of Satan, uh, basically on Good Friday on the cross, and then with the resurrection and the descent into hell and so forth. But you also not only have the Jewish people having been saved by Moses, but you also have the Jewish people later having been saved by Queen Esther. And so the Jewish festival that celebrates the Jewish people being saved by Queen Esther is Purim. And uh, Queen Esther in that festival is a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which although the Blessed Virgin Mary isn't our the primary source of our salvation, we know that she is the intercessor par excellence, She intercedes with the king, that is, she intercedes with the Most Holy Trinity to have us be given more grace than we deserve and to save us when our, basically when we don't deserve it is what it amounts to. It's not very nice to say, but when we don't deserve it. And there are plenty of stories of, um, there is a a, a Catholic priest who's still alive, who had a near-death experience, and in this near-death experience, he was, a, he was a bad priest before the near-death experience. And uh, he was condemned to hell uh, by Jesus. And the Blessed Virgin Mary intervened and asked Jesus to give him one more chance. And he got one more chance, and he straightened up and flew right and became a very good priest. He's been on EWTN telling his story. Uh, Shearer, I think his name is Father Shearer. S-H-I-R-E-R, perhaps, and he became a priest with the Congregation of the Intercessors of the Lamb. And uh, we have uh, Herman Cohen, who was a Jewish man who became a Catholic priest, and um, his mother, this is a, it gets a little complicated to explain how he knew this, but in any case, he knew um, through a visionary that uh, got the uh, approval of the Cure of Ars, so essentially with the imprimatur of the Cure of Ars, uh, the story came to him that his mother was uh, also condemned um, to be lost. She had never converted and she was never baptized. When the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared before Jesus at the point of the, her condemnation and interceded with Jesus to uh, save her, Those are just two examples. We certainly know plenty of other situations, maybe a little less dramatic, where the Blessed Virgin Mary is our intercessor par excellence with the King to save us from the uh, enemy, from Haman, from Satan, who is, of course, the accuser who wants to accuse us and have us damned. And my understanding is that our particular judgment we have our defense attorneys, let's say, who may be the Blessed Virgin Mary or may be our guardian angel that are presenting why we shouldn't be damned. And we have demons or Satan trying to make the argument that we should be damned. And who is the ultimate defense attorney? 
our ultimate intercessor at that moment, it is, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary, exactly as we see in this picture of Esther appearing before the king when the entire Jewish nation, the entire Jewish nation, of course, being a picture of the church, because the, the basically, because, of course, that's what the Catholic Church is, it's a continuation of Judaism after the coming of the Jewish Messiah. So she interceded, Esther interceded to save the entire Jewish nation from being condemned to death by the king at the instigation of Haman. And, of course, Queen Esther being a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the king being a picture of God, and Haman being a picture of Satan and his legions. So that's why this wonderful Jewish feast of Purim is even more wonderful if you're a Jew in the Catholic Church and you see it fulfilled not only 3,000 years ago in Babylon, but you see it fulfilled today and you know that it's going to be fulfilled when we pass away at our particular judgment. We will have something better than Queen Esther there at our side interceding with the king to convince him not to listen to Satan's legions explaining why we should be lost, but instead to be exceptionally generous with his grace and his mercy so that we may be with him in un unutterable, unimaginable bliss for all eternity. So that's the show for today. Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, and I couldn't let uh, Purim go by without using it as, as just such a wonderful illustration of the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary in our salvation and the foreshadowing of the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary in our, in our salvation in the story that comes from the Old Testament, that comes from the Jewish people, because, of course, the Catholic Church is the fulfillment of the promise of Judaism, and so much of the Old Testament and so much of the story of the Jews is prefigurement of what was to come in the Catholic Church. So with that, we've come to the uh, end of our time together for today. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism with your host, Roy Shoman, me, on Radio Maria. I hope you join us again next week, same time, same place. And it's time for me to say goodbye for now, and I will resume with that beautiful music that we had during the break. And I will leave it, of course, to the uh, studio to um, fade out and come back on when my allotted time is over. So bye for now. Come back, please, next week. Uh, God bless you, and thanks for listening.